0: Blog Talk Radio. Oh, good morning, everyone. Stuart Crawford, Calgary, Alberta, for the first time in a couple of shows, I'm actually in my home office here in Calgary, bringing all of this IT radio to the airwaves or to the ether on the internet uh, via BlogTalkRadio.com, and this is our. Uh, first show in our second show in the month of may we had ken thorson on a couple weeks ago we did that one from toronto this one our first one back in calgary uh it's a great show to be talking about because we know the last few weeks have been working in a remotely connected world and uh, what a great show to bring to our, our listenership uh, today uh on security in a remotely connected world and we'll talk about it from multiple different angles and what happens out there uh doing business uh in a flat world of global economy and I have a bit of recommended reading I want everybody kind of look at and or read if you haven't done so already. I want you to read The World Is Flat by uh, Thomas Friedman. It is an awesome book and it really kind of touches in on what we need to look look at from a security because our our clients and those people that we do business with out there are wanting to use these solutions to do business with. They want to be sitting in a Starbucks. They want to be sitting at their home uh, in their dining room table. Um, They may want to be in a hotel room on the other side of the world, wanting to connect to their office and do business. And the way we do business today is definitely uh, in a global economy. And we are an opportunities come from anywhere, anywhere, Ever sorry, everywhere out there. Um, we are taking live callers today, and the call in number is 646 716 8372. And the chat session window is open at blogtalkradio.com. You can get on there and ask your questions. So our guest today is Dana Epp, and Dana is uh, out of the Chilliwack, BC area, and he is the President and CEO of Scorpion Software, and they make a number of great security solutions for small business. One of them is a product called Off-Anvil, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, and a few other ones around uh, dub Guard and uh, for remote web workplace. And a, a great new product offering that Dana and I are going to announce later on in the program, and you have, you'll need to stay tuned uh, near the end to uh, find out what's happening there. And I think a lot of IT professionals, Dana, and I think you can agree with me, once they hear that, they'll be going, phew, that's what we've been looking for for a long time. Yeah. Let's just just jump right into it. Dana Epp is an MVP security, or MVP with Microsoft, uh, and in the security uh, world, and he's a business owner for Scorpion Software, and he's got a great uh, resume um, of things that he's accomplished in his life. but. Dana, for those people that may be listening for the first time, or you know, may, maybe met you once or twice, just a re- refresher: uh, who Dana is, what Scorpion Software is all about, and
1: maybe just give us a quick overview of who you are. Sure. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've, I've built a bunch of small businesses that have surrounded around. Uh, software relating to security. And so I've brought to market things ranging from encryption devices and firewalls and secure operating systems and intrusion prevention systems. And our latest work's been on strong authentication for small business. Uh, That's where Scorpion Software focuses its uh, efforts, is on delivering two-factor authentication specifically to environments uh, driven through Windows Small Business Server and the upcoming uh, Essential Business Server and the Windows Server 2003 and 2008 uh, product lines. Um, I, am, uh, I sit on the uh, University of the Fraser Valley uh, Advisory Council for the CIS department, as well as been an instructor at both uh, uh, UFE and for uh, the BCIT, which are uh, technical colleges and universities uh, in British Columbia. And so I've had, uh, I've had a privilege to be able to see the growth and the change as it relates to designing secure software and, and developing and deploying security products at the same time.
0: Well, wasn't all that long ago, Dana, that we had—I uh, remember you know, when I was doing consulting. It was five years ago, maybe, maybe six, seven years ago. It wasn't all that long ago when you look when you look at the big picture of things, that most companies just had one computer that was connected to a dial-up internet uh, connection, and that's how they got on the internet. So security at that time wasn't that big of a concern. But the world has changed in uh, in a short ten years, and yeah. uh, wow, you know, you look back and what a what a journey it has been. Now we have all kinds of concerns about uh, doing business uh, on the Internet. We need to have it. It's a necessary uh, requirement to do business today. Yeah. What are you finding overall when it comes to secure, uh, security in the small business space? Are secure, uh, small businesses uh, up on the high end of the security, or are
1: they still struggling to get their foot in the door there? Well, I think we have to look back and, and look at how small businesses use the Internet. And what's interesting is is that, Whenever we connect to the Internet, we're all equidistant. In other words, we're all connected to the same threat landscape that exists out there. And because we're using the Internet these days as a commodity tool, no different than our phone systems and our fax machines, um, we're exposed to a lot of risk. And for small business, I think it's actually a little worse because there is a, a level of uncertainty or a, an acceptance that it's not going to happen to me. I'm a small business. It's not those kind of issues. They go attack the big boys. But with the Internet, the way that it's designed, attackers don't know any different. They really don't care if you're a big business or a small business. They're going to have automated tools and technologies that are going to probe and look for weaknesses so that they can then circumvent those and get access to those systems. Sometimes it might be because they want data gathering and they want to steal information. Other times it might just be they want to be able to utilize those resources for bigger attacks onto other systems. And what ends up happening, especially in the small business realm, is that we don't have the same infrastructure support and we don't have the same budgets that big boys do to provide those levels of uh, security awareness and uh, security safeguards that we need to protect these systems. So when we talk about things like firewalls, well, these days in the small business space, there are a lot of great vendors like SonicWall and WatchGuard. And you know there's tons of them out there that actually provide uh, pretty good solutions for small business And more importantly, there's great partners out there like uh, IT Matters that actually have the ability to um, deliver those kind of solutions in a very professional way. And I think on the firewall side, we're pretty well protected. Part of the problem gets to the B, though. That that's not enough these days. The internet makes it so easy for people to blow through those particular safeguards and get to the data, which is ultimately the biggest risk. And so what ends up happening is there's all different kinds of systems, like failures in VPNs. So, you know, one of my biggest things that drives me nuts, especially with small businesses, is that you have uh, IT professionals come in and say, if you have a VPN, you're going to be secure. So then what do they do? They install the VPN client on the laptop. The laptop gets stolen the laptop thing has their password cracked and because that's the same password that's used to log on to the network what you've just done is provided a secure mechanism to breach an office because that VPN client that's sitting on the desktop gets you right into the office and there's no way of stopping that and that's actually kind of how we got into business for a lot of stuff we're doing is that we realized that small businesses need the same levels of protection out there when it relates to connecting up remotely and they don't have the same kind of budgets that you need out there. And so one of the pieces of technology that exists out there that significantly reduces those kind of risks is two-factor authentication. And what we have with some products like Authanvil is we have an ability to deliver that at a significantly lesser cost and significantly easier to use to provide identity assurance and the ability to say, hey, when you connect up remotely, I know who you are, and I can prove that through some identity assurance checks. And at the end of the day, I can reduce the risk and allow our small businesses to have the same kind of um, access levels that the enterprise has.
0: Now, I was in Buffalo last week, and I was talking with a gentleman by the name of Chris Squire, who's uh, in charge or in p- part of the security team at in Ingram Micro. And he mm-hmm. gave me some interesting facts. And kind of want to share with the people out there today that you know there's a black market developing out there uh, for hijacking espionage. Uh, with business de- in that it's so uh, set up now that they even have their own business development reps and sales teams going out looking for their stuff. And, I, and some of the things he mentioned was competition is fierce for our own personal information, so getting credit cards or birth dates or any personal type of information. There's volume discounts out there now for bl- in the black market sales channels. Pricing starts at as simple as $0.40 cents for a credit card number. Which which is down from a dollar in 2007. Uh, There was 712 thousand new threats in 2007, and of that, 500 thousand of them surfaced in the second half of 2007. So, Dana, we're seeing this stuff out there. Small businesses today need to be very much on the up and up when it comes to uh, comes to security.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you see, the thing is is that those type of attacks aren't um, – they, they don't simply go and say, I'm going to attack enterprise. I'm going to attack you know, individuals. It says, I'm going to attack anybody who's weak. And what ends up happening is, is that depending on how we've designed the systems and how we provide the level of, 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 of protection as it relates to the access points into our remote uh, systems, what ends up happening is, is that we can be just as vulnerable as anybody else. Now, I think, actually, from a small business perspective, we actually have one luxury, and that is is we don't have as complex networks as some of the enterprise boys do, which means it's actually significantly easier to provide the levels of protection that's there. The problem is two points. One is the business owner, in many cases, it's like insurance. Nobody wants to buy security to provide that level of protection until after they've been hit. right? No one wants to buy their insurance until the day they have to make a claim. The same thing can be said with security. There's lots of security safeguards that exist out there that do a certain level of protection but aren't being proactive. They're not making they're trying to deal with things in a reactionary manner uh... any virus is a perfect example of that uh... you should have any virus in place but if i had to take a look and i had to control my budget on where i had to spend money i would be doing it in ways to prevent the systems from being compromised in the first place rather than scanning them after they've been compromised in effect to try to catch it as it's already hit the network examples could be things like trojans and worms and you know people being able to download content into your network in a way that you're not expecting it to from people you don't trust And at the end of the day, I think what's got to change with part of that is that um, because it actually is not as difficult to secure the small businesses, what we need to do is find a way to educate them that these threats exist, they are real, and we need to find ways to reduce the uh, risk to acceptable levels. And that's a critical point to that. Security is all about risk mitigation, not risk avoidance. And one of the problems that exists for a lot of IT pros and security vendors is that they're trying to sell you a whiz-bang thing that's supposed to solve everything, right? Security is not a product. It's a process. And so at the end of the day, what we're wanting to do is make sure that we can find out what are the threats that exist to our businesses and what can we put in place to reduce those risks to an acceptable level for that business. Somebody that might have uh, one or two computers and they're maybe never connecting to the Internet is going to have a lot less risk then somebody that's got 10 employees who are all surfing the internet to get data all the time and downloading it in the network, but the reality is, is that the risk itself, the potential to compromise the systems, are still the same.
0: And so we, and I love when you do. When we see that slide deck that you put up there, and I want the people that are listening, you know, either live now on uh, Block Talk Radio or listening it via iTunes uh, later on. Uh, the picture. Uh, one of those arms you get, uh, you know, the traffic arms that come down to block you, at, you know, even at a railway crossing, you know, that arm that comes down. And now Dana's yeah. got a slide he puts up on his slide deck about this arm coming down, but all these tire tracks going around this arm. Uh, and I found a lot of small businesses, Dana, use that kind of analogy as their security. They, they go by the, you know, the sub-$100 router from, you know, one of the, the leading office supply stores, yeah. and they plug that into their network, and they think they're secure. Yeah. And let's face it, in the, with, the, with the millennials getting more and more into the um, the workforce, these people have learned how to uh, navigate around security uh, systems that are in place. So we're not talking just necessarily an ex- external threats, but also threats from the inside. And I love that slide. Maybe we could talk about that for a second here. Yeah,
1: well, the weakest link in security is the human factor. It's people. If you put security in place just for the sake of trying to prevent one thing, and there's a way to bypass that and and, uh, employees and staff members can find out how to do that, they will. Not because they're typically wanting to be malicious, but they're trying to get their job done. And anything that prevents them from getting their work done – is a burden and they'll try to find ways around that. So part of any kind of security deployment requires you to think about what it is we're trying to safeguard and what is the actual um, opportunity cost that's going to be either reduced or gained by putting this type of safeguard in and at the end of the day, you know, that, that security gate that, we show on, on, that I show on that slide all the time, is it's the whole epitome of here's a road that's got a security gate and people just look at that and drive on the grass around the security gate because it's that easy to do that. Why slow down and try to swipe your card to get yourself in if you can simply just walk around it? And the same can be said when we look at the computing world. You know How many times do we all find of staff members that know other staff members' passwords because one day uh, they needed to get access to a file or get access to a, a folder or they need to get something and the That person was out at lunch, and they call them up and say, Hey, Joe, I need that uh, price sheet. Oh, yeah, my password is ABCD123. Um, Let me in. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, now somebody has the credentials of somebody else, and you have no way of controlling or stopping that. The other part to that, though, is this whole aspect that there's a lot of security that people put in place because they have the uh, presumption that it's enough. Right when we talk about things like uh, these, net, you know, these $50 Natted devices on there, people consider or think those are firewalls because that's been the industry norm of what they consider a device that connects you to the internet. What they don't realize is that it's set up in a way that you can't actually control the flow of information, not only coming into the network, but more importantly going out. Because as businesses, our most critical assets isn't the internet connection itself; it's not the computers themselves. It's the data that's in those computers. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to safeguard because all of the business workflow that occurs in the organization will have to trigger around the information that's there. And the whole aspect of protecting the information needs to be able to provide that not only can we control the attackers that might try to come in, that if they do get in, what do we do to prevent them from going out? You know, there's attacks that have occurred in in, uh, years past. Things like, you might have heard of worms like SQL Slammer. Mm -hmm. You know, These were attacks that were designed in a way to go and propagate and attack um, Microsoft's database server, get access to the system, and then go and propagate out to others. Now, it was actually possible, although it didn't. If the uh, author of that attack would have actually set it up a little different, he could have actually extracted all the information from that database and send it to a central resource to collect and store that. Imagine what kind of client data you might have that could have easily been stolen without you having any ability to control it. Now, here's what's even more interesting about this. If you would have had things like proper firewalls, proper procedures in place to make determinations on who can access what resources, at the end of the day, even if you would have had a vulnerable database, it probably wouldn't have got through the firewall. If it did get through the firewall, it wouldn't have been able to propagate through that any further if you had proper ingress and egress filtering, or the ability to have rules on how the data moves in the organization. And it would never have been able to go any further and propagate. But what we saw on the Internet was we were all caught with our pants down, and nobody had those type of rules in place. Now, you you all of a sudden fast forward another year, the same type of attack occurs but in a different way. And guess what happened? Nobody learned from that. Small businesses and the enterprise, nobody learned that, hey, you know what? We need to provide the right type of safeguards to control the flow of information. It's not about who cares at the end of the day to stop a worm. It's not about stopping the worm. It's stopping some any kind of attack vector from getting access to the information. And if they can get close enough to the information that we have enough layers of defense to make sure that we're gonna trap them somewhere along that way.
0: Okay, and I mean that's you know, that's some great uh insight there, Dana, on that is especially with the firewall solutions coming out today that we can have that ability to do that deep level inspection of information so we know exactly what each packet of information has, Uh, and most importantly, uh, content. You know, it can score content now. So small businesses today can even control content. One of the conversations I have with my clients is that if you wanted to protect confidential information, you can actually put into uh, a, a firewall or mail security appliance, Maybe um, you know in Calgary here with oil patch, the unique well identifier of a, a confidential infor- uh, location that you're working on. So if any correspondence has that uh, tag in it, it could be prevented from going out. Or there's solutions yep. out there that can even monitor simple things like IM traffic and block you know confident, confident, confidential information from leaving via IM type solutions. Yeah, there is a number of solutions out there that can. Uh, protect the small businesses from information maliciously going out, or you know what us say people are human. The human factor you mentioned that they send it out accidentally as well, and it's it's all happened to a number of us. On the other side, bringing, you know information in. It's can it be easy, it's easier to control external access into the network? Um, you know with the solutions that are out there. Maybe we can flip that over to you know I'm I travel a lot, you travel a lot. What can small businesses do today to protect uh, remote access? Into you mentioned the two-factor authentication through off-anvil, but in, you know in general, what can we do to uh, secure our remote access so not just anybody out there can you know get right. into our network from a Starbucks somewhere or even or you know what even a, a public kiosk? And we
1: talked about those keyloggers, right? Yep. Well, there's a couple things that can be done. Well, the first one is whenever possible, try not to allow a Layer 3 network connection in. In other words, don't allow a VPN connection into the organization unless you have to. And here's a reason why. If you happen to have a vulnerable um, notebook, laptop, or maybe you're accessing someone else's computer and you're going to connect it back into your organization, if you're providing a VPN connection, you're opening a conduit to allow data to traverse directly onto the uh, corporate network back at the office. And that could expose you to risk you don't need to. If you have to expose it, make sure that the vendor that's providing the VPN uh, services has a mechanism to control and flow the, the flow of information. So as an example, uh, I see lots of times that people have unabated VPN access. Once you connect up, you have access to everything in the network. But is that really the rules that you want to set up for these remote workers? Is it that they just need to be able to get access to maybe their email? Is it that they need to get access to their desktops? Maybe they need to get access to a couple of critical servers that relate to them. Well, provide a way so that you can limit the access, so that maybe they can only access a certain amount of systems. We actually, in our organization, we quarantine it so that VPN access does not have complete access um, to the network. It's actually segmented off into a certain area, and we just use multiple NICs, so we have a way of, of quarantining that in a way so they still have access to the critical systems that they need, but it doesn't expose the rest of the organization to that sort of risk. It also allows us to audit it a little better. The second thing is, is that if you, get, you have the luxury of being able to use something like small business server, take advantage of technologies like remote web workplace because that provides you a mechanism to, uh, through a single browser to be able to get connected up and to get access to your email, to get access to your desktops and to those uh, application servers that you might have in the organization without actually having a direct connection to the organization. It's actually proxied through the web. Now, if you're going to do something like that, I do highly recommend that you consider other technologies like uh, RWW Guard and Authenvil or RSA or, you know, any of the other uh, vendors that are out there because you want to be able to provide a level of identity assurance that when they connect up that uh, you know that they're actually your staff members. There's also lots of other simple things you can do that cost you nothing but provide you a, a better level of protection. Remember, when I talked about security is about risk mitigation, not risk avoidance, if you have staff that are revolving in, uh, in the field a lot, but that field is maybe just in your city, maybe it's uh, just in your province or your state, uh, and they don't leave a lot uh, um, a lot as it relates to out of that geographical region, it is possible to provide things like IP restrictions so that you could limit the attack surface of your business by simply saying, "Hey, look." I happen to know that my staff are going to be in Calgary, Alberta. And because they're in Calgary, Alberta, I happen to know the uh, there's, what, seven major providers that are there. Um, I know which ones that my staff will be connecting up using. And I can use those IT blocks and allow those ones in and then block everybody else. What I'm doing then is effectively whitelisting so that the only people that can have access is that geographical region, and now I have a significantly lessened attack surface. I'm not going to be worrying about Russian attackers who might be able to collect credentials and try to log on later. I don't have to worry about some worm or virus that I might not know about that ex- exists in, in the U.S. if I'm protecting it with my particular region in Canada. In some cases, it might simply be as something as using firewalls more effectively. A lot of the firewall vendors have the ability to actually provide an extra credential check before it will actually open up ports to special services. So as an example, you might have something like a SonicWall TZ190, and you'll have it configured in a way so that before you can actually get access to, let's say, an RDP port to connect up to a terminal server, that you first have to log into the firewall. It's actually possible to configure that to support either LDAP for things like Active Directory or even using RADIUS to do things like two-factor authentication. What ends up happening in those types of solutions is that it provides another level or another layer of protection before they can actually physically get access to that data. And then ultimately it all comes down to education and understanding the policies and procedures. Do these people really need access to that information? We want them to be the most productive workforce we can have, but at what resources do they need? Perhaps if it's just having access to email, maybe it's a matter of just uh, exposing something like Outlook Web Access and not actually permitting them to have VPN access or to have any access to the organization except through the Outlook Web Access portal. Again, you can provide things like strong authentication to protect that if you want to provide that identity assurance. And you can use IP restrictions to limit it to who can have access to that kind of data.
0: So we identified a lot of the threats that are out there, Dana, and you know we did, you know we went into things like even you know the, you mentioned the Russian connection because there's the the whole Russian business network that's into writing, you know malware and into the identity theft and you know I heard a stat that even the Russian business network estimated earnings like for one, uh, 150 million dollars, so you know uh, uh, it's amazing that there's been a lot of people making money. Uh, on oh, the identity yeah. theft and, uh, and the phishing type uh, and threats that are out there. You have a product. You have several products. Let's kind of focus in now on what your solutions can do to protect the small business guy out there. So let's let's kind of touch base with Off Anvil first. It's one of the ones that my company. It matters. Re, oh, we're a reseller for, for a number of your solutions. But Off Anvil is the one we have a lot of traction with. I have my crypto card key here sitting on my desk. <laughs> and it's it's a great way for us to secure our remote access because it does offer more than that username and password type uh, yes. uh, authentication into the network. Let's talk about what, you know, if a small business went ahead and got, a, you know, an off-anvil solution, how much more secure are they over, you know, your traditional VPN using username and passwords?
1: Well, it's significantly more secure, and the reason is is that you're providing a two-factor uh, authentication when logging in. And for people that don't know what that is, think of two-factor authentication as something that you actually use almost every day already. When you go to the bank and you want to withdraw some money from an ATM machine, there's a process that has to occur. The first thing you have to do is you have to put a piece of plastic in there, and then the second thing you have to do is you have to put in your personal PIN. And the combination of something you have, which is your bank card, and something you know, which is your PIN, You have the ability to be able to validate that you are actually the user of that system, and then they'll give you access to your bank account. And it works extremely well. What we've done is that we've got a a technology that's a token that generates a new one-time password, or sometimes called an OTP, that every time you use it, it's dead. In other words, you can only use it once to provide a level of logon combine that with your PIN, and you create something called an off-anvil passcode. And for the first time, we now have the ability to bind the transaction when you go to log in with your token to assure that you are actually the staff member. So even if I know your password, Stuart, I won't be able to log into the systems unless I physically also have your token and know your PIN. And that starts to provide a new layer of defense because now there's a level of identity assurance that says, hey, I actually know it's Stuart using his password because he's got his token physically present at the point that he's actually logging in. And that becomes very, very useful when we start talking about all the entry points to a small business, which usually are things like logging into remote web workplace, uh, logging in via VPN, logging into firewalls, logging into Windows login systems like RDP, terminal services, that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, it gives us that, uh, not only a level of assurance that we know who's logging in there, we have an auditable record of that, allowing us to understand when they're logging in, from where, so that we can do you know, audit tracking to make sure we know uh, what's going on. And what's nice about that is that it works across multiple accounts. So it might be that you, Stuart, as the uh, biz dev guy at uh, It Matters, you know, don't have as much access to some of the servers as your tech team does. With any luck, they've probably limited your access to those systems. What's nice, though, is that if you do need that sort of access, they have a level of assurance that when you go to log on, they know it's you and not them that's accessing those systems. So that comes down to accountability. Passwords are easily shared, guessed, and stolen. And what we do is we reduce that risk significantly by also requiring you to have that physical piece, to have that two factors to log into the system.
0: I mean that's you know that's critical important I love the you know I love the example you use because yeah exactly as a business development guy I don't need access to you know our BES server and our SQL server i just need to be able to run my application so I can get the information that I need and I would assume a number of our clients are in the same way the accounting team doesn't need to see uh, maybe some sales information and the sales people don't need to see the accounting information uh, directly and uh, yes. and that's a great uh, a great way of looking at it. And, you know, Dan, it's not, always, not only about securing uh, solutions like Remote Web Workplace or Terminal Services or uh, Outlook Web Access or or whatever they're Se- calling now, Exchange Anywhere or whatever they're calling it with Exchange 2007. Yep. We can actually in, uh, secure uh, web applications, too. So if we're a company that is doing uh, hosted services like a web-type service, we can actually integrate the off-anvil solution to secure our web apps. Is that uh, that possible?
1: Yeah, actually, there's two ways you can do that. One is we have an agent that works uh, directly in the web server that will provide um, a gateway. So when you go to connect up to a site, so let's say it's SharePoint or Microsoft CRM or Act or whatever kind of web application you might have, before you can actually get to the application, you have to authenticate yourself with your token. Why that's important is it can significantly reduce the attack surface of web applications, which we're seeing to be some of the most vulnerable methods of people getting access to information. Before you can even get access to those systems, you have to prove you're a staff member that's allowed access to those systems. So it significantly reduces that side of the risk. The other side is that AuthAnvil itself is a web service infrastructure, which means that if you are right, building your own line of business applications, you might have developers in-house or perhaps you have some external guys that are helping you do integration, you can actually write it into the system so it's directly in there. In many cases, replacing the need for passwords for a lot of your own line of business applications in the first place. What could be better than not having to know a password in the first place if you all of a sudden have it generating on your token each and every time you use it? Exactly,
0: and I mean, that's a great uh, great way. And I love the, I love what you mentioned about auditing as well. So if you have a, a concern about somebody who maybe even tried to leave the company, well, that's one thing we can talk about off, off, off-handle around, you know, if you have somebody who leaves the company, you can actually just in one click turn them off from all the services that are that you have available on the network. But also it's a way to, you know, I love the auditing tra- uh, trail there. And I, When I see the demo, it's very impressive how, you know, we can even find out that, this person logged on. This person, by name, logged on as administrator. So, if you have multiple system administrators taking care of a uh, network,
1: you yeah. know exactly
0: which system administrator accessed what and when.
1: Yeah, that's one of the powers that AuthML provides. Is that through something called that grouped user functionality, its ability to group people that have tokens who have uh, a shared need for access. Domain administrators is a perfect example. If you have the administrator account and you need four people that are uh, having access to that account. Who do you know, how do you know which one of those employees was the one that logged on as administrator and made that critical change that may have caused a failure? If you need to track that down to find out what he did, how do you know that? Well, for the first time, Authentable has been able to provide that for Windows Networks because what occurs in the audit logs is there will be a log item that will say something like, grouped user administrator was logged on by Dana. So now I know, ah, oh, it was Dana that logged on administrator at that particular time. And now we can go and follow up and find out what he did, and, and we can you know, remediate that. It's really important for things like change management because you now know who's doing that. Um, we have some clients which, funny enough, they use our product in a very weird way that I would have never thought of. They use it as an auditable way to um, second-guess their billing in their ConnectWise system. Not that ConnectWise has any kind of problem with that, but it's the people. Sometimes people forget to put their timesheets in. They forget to put the information that's in there. And what ends up happening is they simply go and look at the audit records of when their staff members logged on to their client sites. And when they go and say, oh, hey, I see a record here where you logged on to customer A site to do some work, but that doesn't match up with what we see in our time billing system, um, what's going on there. And now they can start tracking some of that down. And in one case, this particular customer, he's already paid for his investment of off-anvil because it's already found uh, a billable time that wasn't actually billed for. And it's interesting because um, I would have never thought of using a system like that, but it it, it, it does work. And that's a, a, a good way of knowing who's connecting up where, why, and when.
0: Well, I've never had the situation where technicians – you know go home and do their time at ten o'clock at night and 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 forget half the time you know forget about half the stuff they uh they done for the day that never happens in our industry no right? never <laughs> never happens <laughs> ever uh, so Dan, i mean offhand was a great solution for small businesses that are you know need uh that extra level of security and i you know I would highly recommend every small business has that for the you know you put a little crypto card thing on your keychain or on your inside your notebook bag or whatever which way you want to carry it it's a you wouldn't think about going to the bank without your bank card and your PIN number. And why would you want to connect to your network without your crypto card key and your PIN number? I mean, it's just one of That's those right. things that you need to have today. It's it's a must. It's one of those must-haves, in my opinion. And we recommend it with every deal that we do now where
1: remote access is involved uh, yeah, or not. Because, again, most people want remote access today. Yeah, and the nice thing is it's in a nice form factor. It fits on your key ring. So in many cases, most people need to take their keys because they have to drive to work. And so because they have their keys with them, they always have their token with them, and it makes it really easy to be able to get on there. And, of course, there are facilities to provide ways, if they forgot their token, to issue them a new one temporarily to allow them to continue to do their work. In our organization, we actually it's a, it's a level of um, accountability. So you know what? You can't log on the network unless you have your token. And guess what? If you don't have your token here, you're going home. And you know what? You're going to be doing that on your own time. And at the end of the day, what happens is it's in a very effective way from from a staffing point of view. It's not a lot of extra work when it comes to logging in and getting that, but it significantly reduces the risks that ex- are exposed to your business and provides a heightened level of uh, security when it relates to we now know who's connecting up when, where and why and it's a
0: great and it's a great, uh, it, that's a great solution, uh, even internal networks, so you can actually use it internally uh, yeah. to secure uh, secure the network. So Danny you know that's one product you guys have you have our dub dub guard, which is another great uh product, maybe not as well known as off anvil so maybe we can just touch on touch base on that a little bit here,
1: yeah so. OffEnvil provides the side for two-factor authentication, and what RWDubGuard does is it complements it significantly because on Small Business Server, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Small Business Server. I really think it's a really great product for small businesses. Microsoft did something right when the way it bundled it all together so that we can have the same enterprise-ready technologies like Exchange, like SharePoint, like Active Directory, like the VPN facilities. But it also exposes us to one very huge weakness that scares me significantly, and that is that through Remote Web Workplace, which is a web page that you can connect up to, if you enter in your username and your Active Directory password, it will give you complete access to all the resources you're allowed access to on that network from anywhere on the Internet. So if I have access, it will give me access to all my shared calendaring, my shared files and folders, to my contact list, to all my email, allows me to connect up to the desktops I'm allowed to, allows me to connect up to any of the application servers I have access to. And that becomes a huge problem. And the reason it becomes a problem is that it is so easy to collect those credentials through some of the malware keystroke loggers, the um, ability to shoulder surf. Uh, social engineering attacks, it's very easy to collect those credentials when you least expect it. And because of that, that exposes the business to a lot of risk. So, RWDubGuard was designed specifically to provide that two factor authentication check when you log into Remote Web Workplace. So, if you're in an organization where you might need to deal with uh, regulatory compliance, where you need to be able to prove the identities of the people coming in, for the first time, Small Business Server can give you a level of assurance that when you log into it, you're actually a staff member. And a staff member permitted to have access to those systems, and that's what our DubGuard does to that. What's that's more great. interesting to this? Yeah, go ahead. What's more interesting to this is that we've actually designed it in a way so we can do something called staged rolling. So what that allows you to do is that in some businesses, not everyone in the organization uh, is going to need a token right away. Maybe they're not as high risk, but maybe that sales guy that's roaming all the time, he is. So one of the things that we've done is we've designed it in a way so you can actually kind of gently roll into strong authentication by adding the requirements for tokens for some users, like your administrators and maybe your sales guys that are in the field and maybe your remote employees that might be working. But then maybe some of the guys that work internally, we're not going to need a token for them. So that gives you the ability to control who needs the tokens, when they need it. And then over time, what we find is that most people eventually do use the tokens for everybody because it's a very easy ad addition to their workflow. It doesn't harm it. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to understand. And at the end of the day, it provides that level of assurance that was never there before for small business server.
0: And when we're looking at costing around this, you know, it's not like we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars for a no. small business of you know, 10 people. We're looking at something that we're, we're ta- definitely in the sub-$1,000
1: range, I do believe, for, uh, you yep. know, for an off-anvil solution. Yep, that's right. And that's one of the things we've done is when we looked at uh, this space and we looked at how the enterprise was solving it, there's, there's really good vendors out there that have been providing this to the enterprise space for over 15 years. There's companies like RSA and CryptoCard and VeriSign that have been delivering this to the enterprise space. And when we looked at what they were trying to do in the small business, which was almost nothing, and we saw that when they tried to do it, that they were designing systems that just didn't fit the needs of small business. And more importantly, they weren't priced in a way to allow small businesses to afford them. How can you go and spend five, ten thousand $10,000 just to roll out a solution? It's just not a cost-effective way of going about it. And at the same time, they're so complex in how they deploy them, most people don't do it because it's just too hard. It doesn't fit the workflow of those organizations. What we did is we went the other way. We designed it specifically to work on small business server and all Windows family servers at that time. And we designed it in a way so that it was very low overhead, doesn't need a lot of resources, and we made it easy to use. Instead of having over 100 configurable settings like some of the competition, we have six because we can take advantage of what's in the system to make the decisions on how to make it the most secure we can. And at the end of the day, it's a fraction of the cost. And what we know is we understand a lot of small businesses, they might start out and only have a few users that need it. Maybe they only need five or ten users to use it. So why enforce them to buy 25 or 50 tokens at a time if they only need five or ten? And that's what we've done. And we've made that so it's much more cost effective, much easier to use, and quite frankly it's just a more elegant way of, of d- delivering uh, two-factor authentication to small business.
0: So let's just talk about how this works. So I mean, I'm the owner of uh, you know a, a small transportation company, and I'm intrigued with everything we've talked about today. How does somebody in the small business uh, community, say a company in Vancouver or Calgary or, or wherever, get off Anvil, and how does it work?
1: okay so the best way to go about it is to find a partner in your area so if you're in, in, in your case if we're talking about in Calgary uh, c- companies like it matters are are partners with us and they provide the ability to uh, deliver those services there uh, if you don't know if you have a partner in your area you can go to wwwcom and you can actually request to find a partner in your area and then one of our guy our staff will look and try to find what your business is doing and try to find a match in your local area and if we can't find a particular match in the local area or somebody we believe can help you in that in, in geographically, uh, we'll bring in a partner that can do that remotely for you or we'll step in and we'll help you out. And at the end of the day, what ends up happening is you, you go through the process of we, we find out exactly what kind of needs you have. Um, one of our partners will uh, assess... The other parts that might go along with that in many cases, when people need two- factor authentication, they're also going to be wanting to take a look at how we're going to lock down things like your VPN and your firewalls and any of the other services that might need to be done there, and they'll deploy it for you, and that will get it up and running in, in no time at all.
0: So if I'm sitting in the Starbucks now I got it all I found a great partner I've uh, got it all installed I'm sitting in the Starbucks and or you know if I'm an owner operator of a uh, you know transportation company. I'm um, on the road. I'm in the hotel, and I want to log on. All I really see is the typical username and password. And you know, if I'm doing a terminal server connection, for example, uh, a third line there where I put the the eight-digit number that's on my crypto card token plus my PIN, yep. and I'm into the network. Is that correct?
1: yeah so what happens is in all those kind of entry points you're going you're going to end what's going to happen is you'll have your normal windows login credentials just like before, but there'll be a new field that'll say passcode and what you'll do is you'll first type in your four to eight digit personal pin that only you know, and then you'll press a button on the token and the token will generate a new one time password for you and you'll enter that in, and those combined will create that authenticable passcode that will then permit you to have access to those resources of course that's the if you've been permitted access to that through the underlying systems. And at the end of the day, that will then also allow the systems to know it was actually you that's trying to do that logon. So now if you're at that Starbucks and you need to connect up via VPN, there's an assurance level from the organization that when you go to connect up, it's you. If you accidentally leave your laptop running and and go to get a coffee and someone jumps on to that system and tries to log into the network, um, because they don't have their token with you, with them, they won't be able to log on. If they steal that laptop and try again later, it won't matter. If they happen to have seen what you typed in, or maybe they collected the information somehow, it's useless to them. Because once it's been used, it can never be used again. That's the whole idea about a dynamic one-time password.
0: So we were talking this week uh, about a specific challenge that, you know, IT administrators have found uh, with... uh, Connecting uh, using RWW or you know remote web workplace, and uh, a known, I would say a known security bug, I guess you can call it, inside the uh, remote web workplace or the uh, RDP to the desktop type technology that Microsoft has. You have taken some interesting steps to help with securing that, yeah. and uh, that's what the new product is all about that we're going to announce uh, on our show today. Maybe we can jump right in there. What was the challenge you found, Dana, or uh, for better, the, one of our partners have found? How you addressed it, and uh, what what do things look like now?
1: Well, here here was the issue that we had. We have a lot of our partners that manage um, different systems, uh, different SBS boxes uh, around the world. In many cases, they might be managing ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty systems, and. When you need to control the administrative access, so staff members connecting up to the remote client networks, uh, especially when using an administrator credential, uh, the way to do it, obviously, is that they can log on as the administrator, and you can use two-factor authentication and provide a way to identify who they are. And it works out really good because you then have the ability that if a staff member, let's say, leaves your organization, you can revoke his token, and even though he knows the Active Directory credentials, he won't be able to log on to any of those systems. Well, there was one flaw with that design, and the the flaw that we had was there was a couple of entry points, well, actually one specifically in in small business server, that that didn't quite work as we expected, and that was in Remote Web Workplace. I wouldn't call it a bug as much as a design flaw, but what Microsoft did when they designed Remote Web Workplace is they provided the method, and they made the decision consciously to say, look, an administrator will always be able to log on to the website. They need to have access. Well, that causes a problem. Because if that person happens to know the administrative credentials, that means they're going to be able to get into your network, and we didn 't want that to occur and we happened had Jeff over at Bulletproof Networks who when he came to us one day and he was like, "Look, I need to deploy this. Why is this not working?" It ended up we were given a recommendation saying, look, if you don't want administrators to log on, simply just prevent them from logging in, remove them from the Remote Web Workplace group, and and uh, set it up so they're not allowed to log on to that server. Well, that wasn't an effective solution. So ultimately, what we ended up having to do was find a new way around that. So what we did was we took the core um, code base of our DubDubGuard, which provides a level of that two-factor authentication and does some identity checks, and we wrote it into a new product called AuthEnvelr RDubDubProtect. And what that does is it gives you the ability, when you go to log on to the systems, for the first time, you actually have a toggle in the configuration that can say prevent administrators from logging into Remote Web Workplace. And what that then effectively does is, even though Windows will still try to allow it to log on, it will never be allowed to do that because when you go to try to log on to Remote Web Workplace, it's going to say, oh, you are a member of a domain admins group, and that account is not permitted to log on to this system. At the same time, we get the same luxuries of we took all the special audit logging that comes with Guard, and we made that generally available in RWW Protect as well. So what that does is it means that for the first time, for people who've always wanted to know um, who's logging into Remote Web Workplace, there is actually a, a, a specialized event log source called RWW Protect, which will provide those logs for you in a single location. So for the first time, you now actually have the logging facilities that you've been asking for. And here's the interesting part about this product. We're giving it to the SBS community completely free.
0: We I'm think wonderful. that
1: when, it, when, it, when, we think, when we talk about securing the infrastructure, we think that this is a huge hole and we want to plug it. So we've done that. And you can actually download RWW Protect for free and use it and to prevent administrative access uh, today. You can actually go to wwwoffhandlecom slash RWW Protect and you'll be able to get access to that system uh, to download the, the content. There's actually a little video I put up there to show it in action so you can see the differences. What we've also done is the reason we're able to provide this for free is that we're including this as a free agent as well for all of our Authenvil customers. So for those people that have token technology and they want to use it, there's an option that you can enforce Authenvil security for the administrator accounts. And because it's free, now with our partners that are managing 50, 100, 250 networks uh, for SBS, they're not having to buy uh, individual copies of our Guards to do that, which can save them uh, lots of money. And so we feel that this is a good trade off that can benefit everybody in the SBS community and at the same time provide a new level of uh, protection for our AuthEnvil customers.
0: So just to be 100% clear, Dan, so I get it in my non technical mind that I have. Um, Basically what the R-W-W-Protect is doing now is preventing uh, domain admins. What about local admins? Is it, are we protecting local, from local admin access as well? Because maybe a few guys still out there doing local admin
1: uh, rights on the PC. From gaining well, on SPS 2003, the DC, there's no such thing as a local admin. It's actually a domain admin. So This is
0: actually not on the workstation. It's actually on the domain controller. This is on
1: R-W-W, yeah, right directly on R-W-W. Yeah. So it's not so.
0: Per- actually so the administrator
1: accounts and any yep. domain admins you add, anybody like that, they will not be permitted to log into remote web workplace if they have the domain admins credentials.
0: Okay, so now that now it all makes sense. So of course there's no such now. Of course, no local admins. So that's that's even uh, even better. Yeah. So this will protect the lo- uh, domain admins from logging into R W W and then gaining access to systems up on the network which is a wonderful way of uh, increasing the security of our client's networks that we're taking care of.
1: So, yeah, and uh, kudos, it adds kudos that kudos new logging. Well, thank you. And it adds a lot of new logging. So if errors occur, i.e., someone tries to log on as administrator, one of the nice things is as a dedicated event log source, for those people that monitor the small business server daily reports, there will actually be audit logs that will actually tell them when somebody tries to log on who is uh, not permitted to do so. That's great.
0: That's a wonderful, wonderful solution and a good, way, a good value add that we can bring to our to our client base. So, Dana, we've talked about a lot of things, and we got a, and a great new announcement here. Uh, one of the things I haven't, you know, we haven't talked about is uh, mob- mobility. Are you guys doing anything around the mobility side to help uh, protect our
1: small business clients from the mobility side, or anything in the works? Um, we don't have anything to announce today. Um, but uh, we are definitely looking into that space. There, there are, there are some interesting challenges when we talk about mo- mobility, specifically in the Windows systems, because one of the issues that you get into is how they're accessing it, usually through OMA as an example, Outlook Mobile Access and uh, the ability of controlling in, uh, that flow of information. You know, when we have the ability in a browser to be able to say, hey, stop, wait, we've got to prove you are who you say you are, that works really, really well. But when you're trying to have a phone that's pulling and pulling down emails, it's not as easy to do that because nobody wants to be entering in their one-time password each and every time they log into there. So we have to co- provide a caching mechanism and some cookie management to, to, to control how that all works. We are definitely um, doing some research on that, but uh, we don't have a product yet to announce on, on that particular front. Because that is one of the, uh, the emerging things. A lot of our our small business
0: clients are uh, are definitely uh, going down that road, especially uh, with tons of mobility devices that are, are out there and and yep. the way uh, business is going today. So, yep. Dan, we got a few minutes left here. You know, if I had to take uh, you know three main takeaways from security for small business, from a, you know from a, let's say from the IT pro side, what should we be focusing on here in the remainder of 2008 so that we can have educated conversation with our client base when it comes to security?
1: Okay, well, obviously, I have a vested interest in that answer. The first one would be um, that uh, passwords are an extremely weak form of authentication, and that you should be considering in any kind of remote access entry points that you uh, strengthen that with something like two factor authentication. If it's not with AuthanVille, be it with any other strong authentication vendor that's out there. Um, the second thing would be that. The data is the most important piece to that, and I think that if they don't already have one, they need to make sure that they have an asset catalog. And for those who don't know what an asset catalog is, it is a list of all the data and information assets that are in the organization, who is responsible for them, and how it affects your business. A lot of businesses spend a lot of money on technology and not understand why they're doing it, or more importantly, what they're trying to do. Uh, protect. And when we talk about things like, uh, you know, disaster recovery, we talk about backup solutions, we talk about antivirus, we talk about firewalls, we talk about patch management. When we talk about all these kind of systems, it's it's actually the wrong conversation to be having with the business owner. Because what the business owner wants to know is not how the widgets work. Sorry, let me rephrase that, how the technology works. What they care about is how do they make more widgets? How do they deliver more of their widgets? And how do they make sure that at all times it's being able to uh, continue to function as a business? So when we start talking from security, we've got to stop worrying about the techno- technical safeguards and start thinking about what it is we're trying to protect. So maybe that's something as simple as understanding where the files are in the organization. I know we've done audits with some of our partners where we've actually seen uh, organizations generating over 5 to $10 million in revenue a year, and it's all driven from a CRM system that's driven off of a laptop of one of the sales guys, the same laptop this guy walks out with. This is not a very effective way to run your organization. And in many cases, the business owner doesn't know that because it might just be that because small business runs at such a fast pace and things are changing so significantly that they're, they're not tracking that. And that's the whole point of what an asset catalog will do for you is it allow you to understand where are your resources, how are they being protected, And ultimately, what is the value associated with that? Sometimes some systems can go down and it won't matter, but then there's other times where if a system goes down, money is being lost. And ultimately, that's what a business owner is going to want to know about, and they're going to want to know how to reduce that so that they can keep doing their business. And, of course, it's a much easier conversation to have if you're sitting there and talking about numbers that they understand based off of their business rather than I've got this new whiz-bang technology. Well, you and I, especially being business owners, we don't want to ever lose money, right? Right. No, 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 no. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, there's some numbers you can use. You could do the rough, the rough justice kind of thing where you can sit there and say, okay, so, you know, what are you making every month? You know, what is that revenue stream? Break that down into what that is per hour of downtime. What happens when that organization is not able to produce that sort of revenue? What's occurring? How does that affect the bottom line? And then we can take a look at and try to understand what is the um, – Likelihood that some sort of damage potential will occur uh, when this, if something was to happen, and we can then try to balance that out and say, okay, well, there's a chance one in one thousand that something like that might happen, and but the cost of it happening is your business is gone. You know, how many times have we heard of businesses that have lost the credit card database of their clients and then have went bankrupt? TJ, it happened. but they haven't gone. They didn't go bankrupt. They but haven't they gone sure bankrupt. Yeah. But they did lose a lot of money at the time, and there was a lot of bad publicity, and they've had to backpedal quite a bit. And all that effort that they've had to spend on um, you know, rebranding and refocusing and dealing with those clients and dealing with the publicity, imagine if that energy could have been spent on adding more top-line revenue, which will effectively trickle into their bottom-line profit. And okay. uh, you know, that's, those are the kind of problems that have. Now, TJ Maxx can handle that because they have a lot more resources, but when you're a small business... You don't have the same kind of resources. That kind of damage could actually take you out. And it has happened to many businesses where, because they haven't had effective solutions for that kind of stuff, uh, data gets exposed or compromised. There's a lot of um, liability that can be tied to that. But let's not even talk about the, the fluffiness of something we can't guesstimate. Let's talk about real world here. If your systems are driven by computers, and those computers die, and they go away, and you're down, how long is it going to take you before you're back up? Some businesses, they don't even have a good enough solution in place that if their building was gone tomorrow, they don't have a way of handling it. Some IT pros, they provide good backup solutions. They have tapes that they revolve, and then what happens? They forget to take them off-site, and then all of a sudden, the critical data for the last you know, quarter hasn't been properly protected, and at the end of the day... Um, the business has a huge problem trying to reconstruct all that information and their clients and to be able to deliver the services that they want to. And ultimately that all comes down to understanding your asset catalog, understanding what's there to make sure that you can maintain that, and that you know who's responsible ultimately for all that data so that your business can can continue to run. And if you do that in a way that you actually, we have certain systems in place here, uh, a lot of processes that any kind of information, we have classifications for information on who can see what, where, when, and why, who has access access to what resources, and who's ultimately responsible for that so we know who has to take um, responsibility if there's any sort of problems and to ultimately tell us when we've got to do things right if we have to make changes. So that way they can reach out to businesses like yours and say, hey, you know what, we have a weakness here. We are not protecting this in what we need, and we will take a look at what the right safeguards are. The nice thing is it's a great conversation with the business owner because now the business owner knows what they need to protect because they're protecting what matters to them. I got to tell great, you, I don't, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I don't and, care you know, much. Dana, I, don't, I
0: don't want to cut you off here, but we're running out of time, so I don't think we're going to get to point number three. I had to jump in with that TJ Maxx example there. So that's but, okay. You know, cred, credibility is huge in business, and a lot of times that's overlooked as a cost when you're uh, when you're looking at the bottom line of a quote. Uh, they, a lot of small businesses fail to realize that uh, you know what if this happens, and it's not a what if it's it's when it happens because it's it's going to happen to everybody, especially in today's world eventually if you don't take the proper methods to safeguard. Dana, you know, I'm very inspired. Every time I spend some time with you, either in person or on the phone, uh, I'm inspired. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people are listening to this now on Block Talk Radio or downloading it later that are wanting to reach out with you and talk, touch base so a little bit more in depth. Uh, what's the best way to uh, get in contact with you if we have you know, if we have a need to get more information?
1: Well, the best way would be to send me an email. My email is dana, D-A-N-A at ScorpionSoft. Dot com, or go visit www.orthanvil.com or www.scorpionsoft.com, and uh, uh, you can reach right out to me, and I'll, I'll I will have no problem answering questions relating to uh, strong authentication or pretty much anything relating to security in a small business, even if it's not dealing with our products. And, of course, I do hope that people will reach out to you guys because we, you, you guys are great partners out there because uh, you have the expertise and you know how to use our technologies with a lot of the other technologies you're deploying. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing more and more companies being protected.
0: And that's the importance of having a good, trusted IT advisor and IT partner for a small business. So if you go to offanvil.com or the other websites that has mentioned, make sure you mention you will heard it on Small Business IT Radio and we'll make sure uh, you know Dana's team gets uh, on it and takes care of uh, your needs right away. So, Dana, once again, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. It's been, always, again, once again, always a pleasure to uh, spend time with you and, and talk with you in person. Just as a quick reminder here, we have some uh, one more show scheduled uh, on June the 13th. I'm taking a bit of a break for the next two weeks. We have some important company business to take care of next week. And then I'm going to Washington, D.C. on June the 6th to talk at the ICCA conference with some good colleagues of mine. So we're not going to be back on the air with Small Business IT Radio until June the 13th. And on that time, we're going to be joined by Darcy Larocque, who's a BlackBerry training expert out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And Darcy's going to talk, touch base on RIM and BlackBerry and, and how we should uh, prepare our customers for that technology uh, from a small business approach and, you know, the education the offerings and what we should know to talk about our, our clients with uh, BlackBerry. And we're going to work on some new uh, shows over the summertime and uh, we're not going to be taking a break. We're going to be full speed ahead during the summer because we believe that information and business continues to flow even when we're enjoying playing golf and all that other great stuff. So this is Stuart Crawford with Small Business IT Radio signing off for another week. We'll see you on June 13th. You can visit my website at StuartCrawford.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T Crawford.com for more information on shows and to visit my blog. Anyway, have a great uh, couple weeks. We'll talk to you on June 13th.